Well, as our shepherd David Wick shared a little bit ago, we are still feeling the burden and the pinch of a very difficult time for our nation, for our community, and uh, for our church and our church families. And so we ask for your uh, continued prayers and your continued involvement and, um, and your continued encouragement and um, support. As uh, David said, our office hours and uh, uh, some of our salaries are being uh, cut back again. And beginning tomorrow, the office hours will be Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Francis and I will be the only ones uh, that will be full-time every day uh, during those days and hours. And so uh, also some of those uh, ministers who are already part-time have uh, had to receive other uh, uh, cutbacks as well in uh, salary and hours. All of that to say, um, we're not going to be quite as available as uh, perhaps you have been uh, used to. And so that means that we will need an extra measure of your understanding, and that also means that we will need an extra measure of your uh, involvement with each other. We call on our church family to be uh, concerned and faithful uh, towards each other, checking on each other, providing for each other, and being there uh, for one another. In reality, that's the way the church is always uh, supposed to be, and uh, we are thankful uh, that we have a church family that cares uh, about the gospel, that cares about this church, and that cares about the needs of each individual Uh, family and each individual member. So we encourage you to be more vigilant than ever uh, about doing that and about being connected with each other in a time when connection with each other is a huge challenge. We're doing our very best uh, to do that. We have our uh, online services and again we're grateful for all of those who take advantage of that during uh, the live stream Uh, at uh, 10 a.m. on Sundays or in our archives. Uh, That can be picked up later. Uh, We have uh, Zoom classes that uh, Danny Snell and Donnie Carnathan lead on Sunday evenings at uh, 5 p.m. We have men's classes and women's classes and college young adult class that meets on Wednesday evenings by Zoom at 7 p.m. Uh, Beginning uh, today, I will start a new series of lessons on the book of Philippians that will be on my Facebook page live at uh, at 4 p.m. I promise it'll only go 30 minutes, and uh, so you'll have plenty of time to get to the 5 p.m. Zoom classes, uh, and that will actually be shown live on our website, on our live stream. Well, not live, but on our live stream at our website um, uh, through the same place where you're watching this service right now, perhaps, and that will be shown at 6 p.m. So you have plenty of opportunities to stay connected. I will continue my Facebook series on Tuesday and Thursdays uh, through the book of Acts uh, right now. And so again, there are lots of different opportunities, lots of different um, uh, needs and uh, responsibilities that each of us as members of this church family Uh, share. And so we ask for you to um, continue to be in prayer for our leaders. As uh, David shared, um, 
our shepherds uh, make these decisions and announcements with a heavy heart and with a great degree of sadness. And they need our encouragement and prayer. And we continue to give that for one another as your uh, leaders. And we know that God will see us through this. It is on Christ the solid rock I stand. And all other ground is sinking sand. (laughs) And if there's one thing the last several months have taught us, it's the truth of that statement. And... um, And so we continue, the work goes on, our giving continues, and we appreciate all of those who so faithfully continue to contribute uh, to the work of our church and the ministries that continue to go on. Another thing that goes on is the salvation that we have um, through Jesus Christ. As we've been going through a series on the Lord's Prayer today and next week, we speak of forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so today, next week, we'll speak about mercy that we give to each other. Today, we speak about our own forgiveness, our own salvation, our own Savior. And so I want us to begin by asking this question. It's a textual question. Forgive us our what? Forgive us our what? That answer is not as easy as you might think, uh, although they're the ones you're thinking are likely not wrong and likely have a verse of Scripture that supports it. Matthew 6, verse 12, and then verses 14 through 15 are the ones that deal uh, with this particular uh, message where Jesus calls on us uh, to forgive us calls on us to pray for our forgiveness and to forgive those who sin against us. Luke chapter 11 verse 4 also records this prayer, although there are, there are some differences. Um, but there are three different terms that are used. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 12, it is the term debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You've probably heard that prayer prayed that way uh, before. And that kind of... Uh, gets us along the lines of um, maybe a little bit about um, what Romans 6 verse 23 uh, says. The wages of sin is death. And so it's kind of what is owed on a spiritual level. In verses 14 and 15, it's a different term in Matthew 6. It's the term trespass. We are to forgive others that trespass against us so that God will forgive us our trespasses, and perhaps that's a more legal term. You think of trespassing. We get that. We understand that. Uh, We uh, see signs that say no trespassing. On private property, you have to have permission to be there, or you are a trespasser. Well, that's perhaps a more legal term. It's actually the term that Matthew uses in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. But in Luke 11, verse 4, it's the familiar term, sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Bill, what word do you usually use when you pray this prayer? (laughs) You might be wondering. Well, I say forgive us our sins. The other words are fine, and I think there's, again, meaning behind them and application. But... To me, 
what Jesus is telling us to do is to pray that the Father would forgive us of our sins. And he is calling on us to pray to the Father that he would forgive the sins of those who have sinned against us. Well, that's a great, great message that I am really looking forward to preaching next week. (laughs) Today, it's that first part. Forgive us our sins. You know, in light of everything else that's going on in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our nation, um, in our world, there is one thing that is constant. And what is constant is we have forgiveness of our sins. No matter what else is happening, no matter what else goes on, we have that blessed assurance we can rest assured that our sins are forgiven. And it's not because of anything that we have done. It's because of what someone did for us. And so this morning, I want us to look at this request, this part of Jesus' model prayer, forgive us our sins, and speak of Christ as our Savior. So two things. First of all, there is forgiveness because of the gospel. There is forgiveness because of the gospel. We hear Jesus tell us to pray this prayer, forgive us our sins. And the first question that may come to someone's mind, if they're not familiar with the teachings of Scripture at all, or the story of salvation through Christ, the first thing that may come to mind is, is that even possible? Are we... Are we asking for something that is impossible, that God would forgive us our sins? Is that possible? It is possible, but only because of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have several passages on the outline. We have the outline online as well. And, um, and so we won't turn to all of those. We'll mention some of them, not all. But the first one is that familiar verse in John 3.16. And it's in the context of this statement where Jesus calls back the memory of his hearers to the book of Numbers and to an incident that happened in the life of Moses and the children of Israel as they were wandering in the desert. And they had wandered away from God spiritually, and so he sent poisonous snakes. And when someone was bitten, they would die. And the people called out to Moses to ask God to take these snakes away. And so Moses prayed and, and God said, well, I'm not taking the snakes away. I'm not even going to keep them from biting you. But what I want you to do, Moses, is I want you to build a snake and put it up on a stick and raise it up high so that everyone can see it. This story is found in Numbers 21. And so the snakes would still bite them, but if people looked at this bronze snake raised up high through the eyes of faith that God would save them, they would be saved. They would live and not die. And so this great scripture in John 3 verse 16, really the passage begins in verse 14 when Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up looking ahead to the time when he was lifted up on the cross of Calvary. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not die but would have everlasting life. For Jesus said, I did not come into the world to judge the world. I came into the world to save it. And that's exactly what he sought to do. A verse that has become my favorite verse in all the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.21, echoes John 3.16. It echoes Isaiah 53, that great passage that looks ahead to Jesus, the Messiah. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. That is the statement of the gospel. That when we pray the prayer, forgive us our sins, it is possible that that can happen. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are several scripture passages from the book of Romans on your outline. And I'd like to read through some of those in Romans chapter 1. Paul is writing to this church at Rome, the capital city of the empire. He's never been there. He knows a lot of people there, as we see from Romans 16. He will get there ultimately and be under house arrest actually for a couple of years until released at the end of the book of Acts. He's still there in, in, uh, under house arrest. As best we can tell, he is later released, able to travel some more, more mission work, apparently goes all the way to Spain with the gospel, ultimately is arrested and brought back to Rome, and this time the emperor Nero will not release him. And Paul, the Roman citizen, because of his faith in Christ, is beheaded. Well, as he looks ahead, writing this book of Romans, he hasn't been there yet. But he talks about his mission, and he talks about his commitment. Verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, Jew and Gentile, in other words. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1 verse 16, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Quoting that great passage from the book of Habakkuk. This is a righteousness, Paul says, that comes by faith, first to last, beginning to end, A to Z. There is forgiveness because of the gospel. And he clarifies a little bit more about what that gospel is in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But now apart from the law, so we know this is the gospel, not law. Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of God. If we were seeking justification by law or law keeping, that would be our own righteousness. But what Paul is saying here is now a righteousness that is from God has been revealed. To which the law and the prophets testify, Romans 3 verse 22, 
This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a propitiation, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. He did it, verse 26, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We use that passage, Romans 3.23, a lot, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've likely heard that statement. You've likely used it at times. But in the context, it's not just talking about sin. It's making that statement to recognize and acknowledge the importance of the fact that the gospel is for everybody. There is no difference whether you're Jew and have the law, you haven't kept it. Whether you're non-Jew, you still haven't been obedient to live faithfully to your creator and to your fellow man. And so what does that mean? Well, that means we've all sinned. There's no difference. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, that is his point. And you can't make that point in verse 24 until you make acknowledge the truth of verse 23. If verse 23 were not true, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Christ would not have had to come. But we have sinned, and he did come, and he died for us. Passage that Danny, one of the passages that Danny Skipper mentioned during our communion time in celebration of this death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was Romans chapter 5, where Paul kind of is thinking out loud, and he says, you know, there are people in this world who would actually die for someone, and, and we're very familiar with that in this country, and very grateful for those in law enforcement, very grateful for those in our military, very grateful for ordinary citizens who we hear stories about sometimes who will risk their lives and possibly even give their lives for the sake of someone else. We see so many in the medical care field over these last several months who have risked their lives, literally, to try to help and to heal others. And some have even lost their lives because of it. The great thing about the gospel is that Jesus didn't die for us on our best day. He died for us on our worst. Here's what makes this gospel so great, Paul says in Romans 5. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it was not that week where you kept up with your daily Bible reading that Jesus died for you. It was not that year where you were very faithful in attendance all year long. It was not that moment when you stood strong and talked to your friend or your neighbor or your co-worker or your loved one about Jesus and what he means to you. No, it was on your worst day. It was the day when you kept silent. It was the day when, like Peter, you denied him. It was the day when you refused 
to do what he wanted so that you could do what you wanted. It was that day that was in Jesus' mind when he gave his life for you. He has seen us at our worst. And he gave his life for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the demonstration of God's great love. The wages of sin is death, as we said in Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. At Calvary, through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness because of the gospel. Secondly, today, because of the gospel, there is a response of faith. There is forgiveness because of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But because of the gospel, there is a response of faith. There is an answer to the question, Okay, you've convinced me that I'm a sinner, Bill. What now? What do I do? Well, just as there is hope that the prayer, forgive us our sins, will be answered by God with a yes, there is also an answer to the question of what what do I do? I'm convinced that I'm a sinner. I'm convinced that Jesus died for me. So what now? Now, one of two things is true. Either we say, well, there's really nothing you do. You're already saved. You don't have to believe. You don't have to acknowledge Jesus. You don't have to treat others the way God has treated you by giving his son. You don't have to be involved with the church family. You don't have to do good for others. You don't have to love your neighbor as yourself. You don't have to do any of those things because Jesus died on the cross, so you're in. Well, that is one option. And you can't find that doctrine of universalism in Scripture, but that is one that some people might hold on to. But if that is not true, then there is an answer to the question, what must I do? (laughs) What is the response of faith? And there either is something that we're supposed to do to respond in faith or there isn't. And I believe scripture teaches that there is a response of faith. So then we ask the question, okay, what is that? Because I want to know. Because I want to do that. Jesus, in talking with Nicodemus, told this religious leader of the Jews, this member of the ruling council, that even he had to be born again of water and spirit, just as John has been, had been preaching, just as Jesus and his disciples had been preaching. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe the commandments that Jesus has left with us. That the one who believes and is baptized shall be saved and the one who does not believe shall be condemned. We are saved by grace through faith, Paul says in Ephesians 2. 
And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. We can't glory in our response of faith, but we can respond in faith. Without the death of Christ, it wouldn't mean anything, but because of the gospel, there is a response of faith. Titus 3 says that that response of faith includes the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And you have several passages listed from the book of Acts, and I'd like for us to turn to a few of those, starting with this great passage, the first day of the church, the first day that question was asked and answered, what is the response of faith? What must I do? Came just less than two months after the Jews had put Jesus to death with the help of the Romans on the cross. And then God brought this great gift on the day of Pentecost and they began to hear this message of the gospel in all of their languages in a miraculous way. And Peter began to preach to them and the other apostles were preaching to them and telling them the story of how this fulfills everything the Jewish people had been looking for. And then he makes this statement in Acts 2 verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, Lord and Christ. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And the good news of the gospel is there is an answer to that question. There is something that you can do. Even though you are a sinner. There is something that you can do. Why is that? The only reason that is true is because Jesus died for you. If he hadn't died for you, Peter would have looked at them and told them, I'm sorry, you are lost and there is no hope. But because Jesus died, there is an answer to their question and to ours as well. What is that answer? It's verse 38 of Acts 2. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom our Lord will call. They continued to plead with them and to call on them and 3,000 souls were baptized that day. In verse 41, and the church continued to meet. And in verse 47, they they were meeting every day and baptizing people every day who were being added to their number. In Acts chapter 8, we read of Philip the Evangelist going to Samaria, that region just north of Judea where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are located. And teaching these Samaritans and baptizing these Samaritans. Acts 8, verses 12 and 13. And then later on, the Spirit calls on him to go and join himself to this chariot where an official of the Queen of Ethiopia was there. Studying from Isaiah 53, having worshipped in Jerusalem and, and not knowing what he was reading. And Philip begins right there and teaches him about Jesus. And on the way home, not long after that, they find some water and that Ethiopian official is baptized into Christ. In Acts 10, the first time that the gospel is sent to those who are not from a Jewish heritage, not Jews, but Gentiles. 
Cornelius and his family hear the gospel preached to them. Peter recognizes that God accepts anyone from anywhere, whatever their background, whatever their heritage, whatever their bank account, whatever they look like, if they will just turn to him in faith. And so that day, Cornelius and all of his family are baptized into Christ. In Acts chapter 16, the first European mission that Paul encounters, others including Lydia, this wonderful woman in Philippi in modern day Greece, who is there at this place of prayer and she and all of her family are baptized into Christ. Later as he is arrested, Paul and Silas are singing hymns in in jail. There's a great earthquake and they're released, but they don't leave. And this jailer comes to them and asks the same question, what must I do to be saved? And because Jesus died on the cross, there is an answer to that question. And because this man is a Roman officer, he doesn't know anything about the gospel. Paul begins by telling him, well, if you believe, you can be saved. And they go on and they preach to him and they teach to him the message of Christ. And that very same hour of the night, that man and all of his family are baptized into Christ. In our Facebook class this Tuesday, we'll be in Acts chapter 22. And it's where Paul recounts the story that Luke reports in Acts 9 of of the conversion of Paul the Apostle. And in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, this Christian man Ananias comes to Paul while he is still Saul of Tarsus and tells him, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Other scripture passages are listed there that remind us that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. There is forgiveness because of the gospel. And because of the gospel, there is a response of faith. Well, the message of forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer comes in two parts, as we said. We'll look at the second part next week, the call to forgive. The call to be merciful to others as God in Christ has been merciful to us. To forgive others their sins. The message of forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer begins with the statement we're seeing today. Forgive us our sins. It begins with the promise of forgiveness. That same forgiveness that David understood and wrote about in the Psalms. Having poured out his heart in penitence, he was forgiven of the worst of sins. The Apostle Paul himself called himself the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. But he said God did that so that everyone would know that no matter what your sins are, you can be forgiven. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the promise of forgiveness is not just for King David. It's not just for the Apostle Paul. It is for us. And we see ourselves in this story that Jesus tells in Luke 18 of two men who went to pray. One who trusted in himself and his own righteousness. And another man who knew himself for the sinner that he was. And in deep humility, he called out to God, forgive me. Forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus says the answer to that man's prayer was, I forgive you. 
I was sinking deep in sin, and love lifted me when nothing else could help, when nothing else would do, when nothing else could save. Love lifted me. This morning, if you need to be lifted from your sins, we're here to help each other. Come as we stand, sing this great hymn together.